Well, the moral case for Bitcoin is that you don't have the cesspool of theft, corruption, and cronyism that you do with the U.S. dollar, right? The, the fiat, mon fiat money is just straight up evil. It is an institution of corruption, of theft, of extracting value from people that can least afford it. And Bitcoin is one that's way fairer. Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin. There are no fees to use this card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases in your first three months, and then 1.5% back forever after. And also, for every dollar you spend over 50000 annually, you can get 2% back in Bitcoin. Now, if you want to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com for more information and to find out the terms and conditions. This is BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it's Casa. Whether you've just bought your first SaaS or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin does not have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it is just a click or phone call away. Casa has best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Now, 12 Canada recently showed us the importance of self-custody and taking control of your money when they froze protesters' finances with no warning. Take your financial freedom into your hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, of course, I am a BCB customer too now. Now, they heard about the difficulty I was having finding a new bank, and they understand Bitcoin. So when they reached out to me and said, Pete, you should move your account over to BCB Group, I was like, sure. Sounds absolutely perfect for me. And I could not be happier with the service they have provided me. Now, BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe. But they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have also had trouble with your banking. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. Now if you want to find out, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Also today, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now listen, in Bitcoin, we have this saying, right? Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. So if you're a Bitcoin holder, it is your money and it's time for you to own it. And if you're not storing your Bitcoin on a hardware wallet, then you are trusting somebody else. 
I took control of my Bitcoin back in 2017 when I bought my first Ledger Nano S, and I'm still using that same device today. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you would like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Yeah, so I could tell you the target audience. Mm -hmm. My target audience is not fully converted Bitcoiners. Okay. My target audience is not hardcore libertarians. Mm -hmm. They already understand Bitcoin. Yeah. They get it. I mean, I'd love them to listen to the show and get something from it. Yeah. My, our, our, what we target is people who are new to Bitcoin mm-hmm. or have been involved a little bit of time or heard about it, who perhaps thinks Bitcoin is, we're all a bunch of nutters mm-hmm. and we're trying to not scare them off. Okay. We're trying to say, hey, here's some ideas regarding Bitcoin you might not have considered. Mm-hmm. Here's some ideas regarding the state. Here's some ideas regarding money. Come and have a listen, and then hopefully they uh, graduate and they go on to other podcasts. Yeah, yeah. So what what you want to do is say, okay, what for each episode you go, all right, I know what my target audience is. What do I want them to tweet? Right. Yeah. And, and for this particular one, we're going to talk about morality and stuff like that. At least for me, what I would want them to tweet is, wow, I didn't realize that Bitcoin is way more moral than fiat money. Yeah, that that's a great tweet, right? That like is a that, good tweet, that, and yeah. that that's something that is a huge endorsement of what you're able to bring out. Now you have a much better idea of okay, what kind of questions am I going to ask to get them to tweet that? That's that's a really so you do that for all the books, yeah. And I, I want to do that for all my articles. Like this, this is the whole concept of beginning with the end in mind, and uh-huh. it's uh, and th- this is the process. It, for some reason. When you can place yourself at the end and look backwards, you're you're going to get a lot more insight onto what you need to do. I, I think, Danny, we kind of already do this in that, mm-hmm. that there are people who don't like the show mm-hmm. because I'm not them. And yeah. they want me to be them and act <laughs> like them and hold their same opinions. Uh-huh. But we always felt like our, our job of the show is not to be them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not to be us. Mm-hmm. It's to put ourselves in the sh- shoes of the listener and mm-hmm. say, how do we take you from... Point A to point, point B. Point A to B. Mm-hmm. And if you've got, uh, you said identify mm-hmm. someone. If you've got a accountant in London mm-hmm. who's heard about Bitcoin, they're a little bit left and they think it's all used by right-wing nutters mm-hmm. to get rich. We want them, if they ever come to the show, we want them to come to the show and go, oh, actually, I didn't realize Bitcoin is used for human rights. Bitcoin is used for protection against monetary debasement. Mm-hmm. Oh, and those guys are kind of fair and... Yeah, you know, I might not agree mm-hmm. with them and everything, but they're kind of fair and balanced. If 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 we produce a show which is kind of like massively libertarian, fuck the mm-hmm. government, crush the state, everything in the mainstream media is bullshit, they're immediately put off. An example today, mm-hmm. I can give you an exact example today. Put out the show with Scott Horton, mm-hmm. a very difficult person to fact check live. Uh-huh. Because he comes with a wealth of information. Yeah, you really I, I have... recorded with him last week. So right, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, he's a guy, it's hard to challenge. You really just have to listen and say, uh-huh. I'm going to go back afterwards uh-huh. and review it. Some journalist who's got an infamy in the UK because uh-huh. he hates Bitcoin, he said, this is some kind of risk to do... Look up Ugly Game, Danny. Okay. At, at Ugly Game. He can get the tweet. But basically, he has used that interview to manipulate people against against me. Uh-huh. 
and kind of draw an opinion of me. Have you found them? Yeah, I'm just pulling out now. Hold on. Yeah. But it's interesting. Oh. This one. Yeah. So look at this. So for people listening, this is uh, at Ugly Game, a guy who hates everyone and everything. Uh, as an interesting, if inadvertent, illustration of how crypto and, and extreme politics can intersect, here's the perspective owner of a football club breaking from talking to Bitcoin to broadcast a two-hour apology of Russian invasion of Ukraine. <laughs> so my point with someone like him, he's part of the problem. Because oh. firstly, it wasn't a two-hour mm -hmm. apology. Uh, Scott was very clear that he is critical of Putin, mm -hmm. he's critical of what, the invasion. But what he wanted to do is say, look, let's also look at US uh, foreign policy and intervention and the history of that and things that have happened. Mm. Now, is Scott likely to be biased towards US, uh, against US state and, and to try and look at all the reasons they provoked? Yes, that's mm -hmm. where he's from. Nobody's perfect. But anyone with a brain can say, okay, I'm going to listen. Is there enough here for me to go and research and, and go mm. and check it out? And hopefully they would. But this is the problem is you've got people like this <laughs> in the UK. They cannot handle free speech. Mm -hmm. They cannot handle the idea that someone out there has got a different opinion than them. So where you've got the people in the, in the US who think I'm a fucking idiot on the left. These people think I'm an idiot on the right. Well, there you go. That's <laughs> that's kind of what happens. And especially on this issue and with Scott's background and stuff like yeah. that. He was against the Iraq war from the beginning, and he told us all that it was going to be like a disaster. He was right. Where was this guy then, right? Like, it, it, he's he's probably saying, oh, you know, like uh, Bush and Blair are doing the right thing or something like that. You got you to gotta, you gotta understand, uh, like, there, this guy has a history, and, like, he's been right a lot more than you'd think. And yep. it's worth listening to him instead of just dismissing him as a Putin puppet or something. Well, so I have a history of jumping into uh, opinions on certain subjects <laughs> and, and then later on learning that there's a bigger picture I've not mm. learned about. And it's, it's, it's a part I'm trying to develop and, mm -hmm. and become better at. Um, but for example, this one, you know that meme, mm. I, 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 um, I support the latest thing. Mm -hmm. that's even more relevant for Europe and the UK. Mm. There is less, I would say that, would you agree there's less critical thinking, challenging the conception that this is just Putin being a psychopath? Uh, I, I've not spent enough time in the UK recently. I would, I would just find it's, it's a little bit more biased, just mm. a little bit. So this is a guy who, like I probably did to begin mm. with, when, oh, well, Putin's a psychopath and... Russia's a dictatorship, therefore everything is defensible from Ukraine and everything is Russia's fault and there's been no mm -hmm. US policy or mm -hmm. US foreign policy that's affected this. And jumped into it and therefore if I've got a guy on there who's mm -hmm. saying, look, look at all this other stuff that's provoked them, mm -hmm. he's going to struggle with that. Mm. The truth is there is a nuance in there mm -hmm. where it, both sides are in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the war was started by Putin, so you can say that. Mm -hmm. But you can also say... It wasn't held by U.S. foreign policy, but sometimes we have to pick a side, mm. and I think this is a scenario where you just shouldn't be picking a side. <laughs> uh, let's hope so, because I don't think war is going to help anybody right now. The war is uh, devastating mm -hmm. and crazy, like in terms of the cost everywhere. So, like to stay out of the war or to 
you know, I, I think people are talking about no fly zone. There were people protesting outside like the te- Texas Capitol like the other day. And they were saying, you know, no fly zone with the Ukraine flags and stuff like that. I'm like, are you crazy? You fucking stupid. Yeah. Are, do, you, do you really want to enforce a no fly zone? You have any idea what that would mean and how much of an escalation that would mean? And all these people like it, it, it's going to become a hot war real quick if that happens. And do you, do you want a ground war in Russia? Really? That's 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 what you want to do. Um yeah, not not a very good history there. You know, like you you don't you don't do ground wars in Russia without <laughs> without some significant consequences. So yeah, yeah. Did, did you did you do it in, in person with Scott? Yeah, I did, and he he came to the studio at uh, Bitcoin Commons, which is at Unchained, uh, you know, same floor as Unchained Capital. So yeah, he's great. Yeah, he and I've had him on a couple times. And okay, he he's uh, explained the entire Middle East in Broglio, and you know. Um, I've read his book enough already. Great book, by the way. And you, okay. you like everything leads back to sort of history. And he he has a talent for linking a lot of it together, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I um, we had him on before during COVID discussing libertarianism, mm-hmm. um, and because he he wrote this article about how the big red button to just get rid of government is a bad idea, <laughs> and it was really interesting to talk to him. And we actually we wanted to talk to him about liberty, but. Mm-hmm. A war kicked off, and mm-hmm. as yeah, as he's works well, for antiwar.com, it felt like a, <laughs> an opportunity to actually like listen to him. So mm-hmm. we did it, man. But anyway, Jimmy, sorry, before you start, would yeah. you mind just putting the headphones on the floor, like behind the table, just so it, it looks a bit neater? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um. Anyway, Jimmy, good to see you, man. <laughs> good to see you, buddy. Been, been. Uh, I'd say a little while, but I, I'd usually get to see you every four to six months. Well, I, I, we we had this stupid COVID thing where I, like people didn't see each other for like two years. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. like I've seen you on and off, like just hey, I'm at this conference. Let's like pass by each other for Let's five seconds hug. or whatever. Let's do bro hug, and then you're you're gone. Um, but yeah, like to sit down and talk, we really haven't had a chance since I don't know, like. A year or two or something. Last like that. time yeah. I think we did in person mm-hmm. was in a hotel room in Norway. Yeah, Oslo Freedom Forum was 2019. That yeah, was that the last time? Was the last time at the old Unchained office? Uh, I don't think we did anything at the old Unchained. We office. did. We did. We did. We did. Okay. Killing the hopes and dreams of shitcoin backholders. Oh, I don't know if that was at that was after. Yeah, that was so after. that 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 must All have right. been after. Yeah. And so you've done a couple more. How many books have you done now? Uh, that's total? four books so far. Programming Bitcoin is the one that's not on the table, but yeah. you know, uh, two of these are out of the pandemic. We got uh, Thank God for Bitcoin and Bitcoin and the American Dream. So yeah. I'm fascinated by Bitcoin and the American Dream. <laughs> uh, the Bitcoin has become really intertwined now with U.S. politics, uh, mm-hmm. and I know some people aren't fans of this. I actually kind of am. Mm-hmm. I, I would rather have regulatory protection mm-hmm. than uh, regulatory overs too much regulatory <laughs> oversight. I think also regulatory protection in the U.S. incentivizes the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, we're tr- we're trying to influence. And really, this book is much more about sort of uh, giving value to the people that we aimed it at. We aimed it specifically at politicians. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of them just have no idea about Bitcoin, right? They're like, what the hell is it? Wait, 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 wait. All all these people are calling in about the infrastructure bill. Kind of in a panic mode. They don't even know what we want, what we're about or anything like that. So this book is aimed at them. And it's specifically so that they can get value out of it, whether or not they support Bitcoin. 
And, you know, we specifically have a chapter in there about the Bitcoin voter. It's not who you think it is. It's not a bunch of, you know, uh, white uh, libertarian, um, you know, code bros or something like that that are anarcho-capitalists. It's, it's not, I mean, that's a small segment of it, but there's a lot of other people. You know, we point out in the book that on a per capita basis, black people are more likely to own Bitcoin than white people at least in the US. I don't know about London or whatever. But but that's those are important things for these people to know. And they need to know these things so that they can make an informed decision. If they are going to oppose it, well, know that that's a significant part of the black community that you're going to be alienating. If you're opposing it, that's a significant part of like US veterans, for example, that are that that are into Bitcoin and so on. There, there, are, uh, there are lots of voting blocks that are part of Bitcoin now that you really need to know about as a politician. And if you don't know about them, that's, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, have you had any fee- direct feedback from any politicians that have read it? Do you know if it's gone in hands? Well, it's, a, it's fairly new. We've been handing it okay. out like candy. But uh, I mean, the few people that have read it, they, they like it. They're very appreciative. And... You know, it, it's part of the 501c4 that uh, uh, CJ and Amanda mm-hmm. and I are doing. CJ and Amanda were on <laughs> with you yeah. about this book. In D.C. Yeah, in D.C. So the, the idea is that this would give them some good info. And, you know, the way things in D.C. work is that you, you have to help them before they can help you, right? Well, the, it's, it's interesting because you've got the incumbent uh-huh. and then you've got the challengers. It seems like a lot of challenges running for Congress and now becoming Bitcoiners. And who knows whether they're using it as a hack. Eric Adams proved it mm-hmm. was a hack and you know, proved to be a little bit disingenuous, perhaps, or a bit uninformed. But there is a lot of... We've got a lot... Right, what's that guy? Brian, Brian Solstice? Uh, I can't remember his name. I mean, he reached out. We've had so many reach out to us mm-hmm. come, wanting to come on the show. And it's sadly, it's just no pretty much every time now because they want to make the same show and they want to use us as a platform. And it's mm. like, if you've got nothing new and interesting to say, we're not interested. Uh, we will be having Josh Mandel on. Mm-hmm. We'll be challenging on some non-Bitcoin things. But... There's a lot of them coming out now. Uh, that guy I mentioned. I, I, I'm trying to find you him. remember him? I do. I know yeah. exactly who you mean. I he just tweeted out. Uh, well, you can check it because um, uh, Breaking Dennis Porter just tweeted, retweeted him. But he's basically said, I'm running for Congress. Uh-huh. And one of the platforms I'm running on is making Bitcoin legal tender. Mm. Whether or not that's important or not. The, the challenges to the incumbents, a lot of them are now saying they support Bitcoin. Mm. Which, is, which is great if it gets us to protection. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're seeing that it's a large constituency. And this wasn't something that we really realized would be the case, yep. like, say, six, seven years ago, because it was, okay, it's this tiny corner, they're going to need some industry representation. So like a lot of the organizations in DC, when they were formed, uh, you know, like Coin Center, Blockchain Association, and stuff like that, they, yep. they thought they were, you know, representing these companies. There's no real, like, lobbying work for the actual voters, right? Like for the actual people that are into Bitcoin. And turns out that's a significant number. I think DCG uh, released something that said it's like 23 million people in the US have some exposure to Bitcoin. In 14% some percent I yeah. heard the other day. Yeah. And that those are big numbers. That's approaching AARP territory. They're one of the biggest lobbying organizations in DC. Like the numbers are starting to matter. So a lot of politicians are uh, are looking at this. One of the most interesting uh, races that I'm watching this cycle 
is the Ohio Senate race. So the incumbent there is retiring mm -hmm. and you have three Republicans and two Democrats that are sort of like the top five, right? Like you have many more people running. That, that, that is Josh Mandel, right? Yeah, Morgan, yeah. Har Morgan, Morgan Harper Morgan Harper versus uh, Josh Mandel, I yeah. think on the, on the Democrat side. And you got, I think J.D. Vance and a couple of others on the on the Republican side, but all five of them are saying good things about Bitcoin. Yeah, but it's how much they understand. So we had Morgan mm -hmm. on the show. Mm -hmm. She was fine. She was lovely. Mm -hmm. But I saw her debate against Josh Mandel, uh -huh. and he crushed her. Mm -hmm. I mean, and he was he, he was great on that. And I am conscious because I've been mentioning Josh on the show a bunch of times, and a couple of people read to me and say, "Yeah, you need to be aware of some of his other policies." Uh -huh. And I think that's an important thing where we've got people claiming to be single issue voters. Uh -huh. Let's be careful here. Let's also be aware of what these people stand for as well. I, I don't agree with just being a single issue voter. I, I understand why they might be, but let's let's not just rail people into being single issue voters. Let's just be aware these politicians might stand for other things, and well, they they could rug pull us. Yeah, well, that that's well, you, true. It's well, your the, country. The, the big thing is that it's uh, you know like what does it mean to be pro Bitcoin? Because you can say good things about Bitcoin, right? You can mm. you can be like, oh yeah. I, I'm all for innovation and I'm all for financial inclusion and I, I'm all for, you know, self-sovereignty and all that. But what policies are they going to actually, yeah. uh, like, so we, we need, and this is some of, one of the things that we're, we're working on as that 501c4 is, okay, how mean, are we going to measure success? Like if these people are for it, what policies are they also for? Cause you can say good things about Bitcoin to get votes, but we have to be like, Hey, like they're saying good things, but they're opposed to these other these pieces of legislation. This is where we have to kind of hold them accountable. What's a five hundred one c four for the audience? <laughs> I obviously know. Uh -huh. Yeah, so a five hundred one c four is an educational uh, nonprofit, basically. Okay, and we can't endorse candidates specifically, uh, but we can say stuff like, "Hey, like here's what Bitcoin is. Here's, um, you know, the these candidates are, uh, you know, are supporting these bills or not. We can't like endorse anybody or anything like that." Um, but that we're an education group, and we want to inform the voters about, "Hey." These people say they're all about Bitcoin, but here's what they're actually supporting. Or here, they're not on record as uh, supporting like Lummis's bill, for example. That would be that. That to me is a nice way to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? Is, is that is that the bill where there's no tax on on purchase under six hundred dollars? The, there's a bunch of things within that bill, right? Okay. Um, but uh, a lot of it is around like sort of capital gains and whether or not you have to report it like uh, above a certain amount. Uh, like it, it's got a lot of good things. And uh, Senator Lummis is has been a champion of Bitcoin, mm. and she's proven it with the, with this bill. I want. I, I want people on the campaign trail to say I support Lummis's bill or I don't support Lummis's bill because the minute you say like, and I want I want all the people that are listening to this that are into Bitcoin, I want them to go and ask them, you know, at a campaign rally or something like that. Hey, are you are you for Lummis's bill or not? Because like putting them on record on this sort of thing is very important. This is part of the political engagement because. They can blow sunshine up our butts all day long and say, "Oh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin." I'm for pro Bitcoin. What does that actually mean? We need we this. This is where having some policy uh, angle or uh, some policies that they're pro or against helps sort of like filter the weed from the chaff because. Every politician is going to say, I'm for everything. Oh, I'm for the teachers. I'm for the, you know, this or for that or whatever. But it, it really comes down to policy. What are you actually voting for? What are you actually voting against? All right. Well, we can use some of that. 
So, <laughs> all right, and so this is what this is what I want to talk about. Actually, Ben, you know Ben Prentice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So. Ben's made an accusation against me. He says I'm getting a little bit shit coiny. He said I am because I've had uh, Monero. I've mentioned Monero on the show twice recently, mm -hmm. and I've mentioned it in scenarios. I said I can think of a certain couple of scenarios mm -hmm. whereby I think I I could justify using Monero instead of Bitcoin mm -hmm. because I find Bitcoin privacy too hard. Mm -hmm. I, I know I'll screw it up, and I know with Monero I've got less chance of screwing it up. Mm. Um, but what I'm not aware of is the trade-offs I'm making if I make that decision. And mm. every time Monero gets mentioned on the show, like I'm always conscious of the responsibility of the show. When it gets mentioned and it comes up, what happens is a bunch of Monero people share the show out uh -huh. and they say, thank you for talking about Monero. And I don't want to promote something if I think there's some trade-offs I'm not thinking about. Mm. Now, I think there's a tr different trade-off as a transaction versus hodling. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you could easily explain to me, oh, I shouldn't hodl. Uh, Monero, but as a transactional level, if I was just buy some Monero, make this transaction, mm. and then not own any, I think there's a different trade-off. Mm. But Ben wants me to ask you about this because he thinks I'm a shitcoiner. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for asking because this is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Okay, um, and we we did talk about it a little bit in like um, you know crushing the hopes and dreams of shitcoiners or the, yeah, shitcoin backholders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, here's my argument against why you shouldn't be using Monero as a uh, as a transactional currency. First of all, the anonymity set in Monero is kind of tiny, right? Like you're, you're, the transactions are actually fairly large. So within a particular transaction block, you you can't include that many transactions because you have these like zero knowledge proofs. We Try thousands of bytes and stuff like that. So that that's been a thing in Monero for a while. Is okay. You kind of have an idea who's doing what because there aren't that many transactions, and you can sort of like by process of elimination get some info out of it. And you're only as good as the anonymity set you're hiding behind. It's not that big. It's it really isn't. Um, the other thing is that Bitcoin has some really nice privacy properties, especially on the Lightning Network. So if you're able to pay for something using Lightning, you actually get really nice privacy properties. If you if you pay uh, somebody that's far away from you on the network, and there are now routing algorithms that optimize for privacy rather than fees, right? Like so, you you have fees on the Lightning network. You can you can optimize on privacy as well, and you know it's going to be up to some of these wallets to implement that in certain cases. But you you have very good privacy. If you if it's going through like four hops or something like that, no nobody after the first hop really knows where it comes from. Chain analysis can't do any work. To no, because it's not on chain. There, okay. It's 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 all unless you're like listening and like intercepting all of these messages and put them all in a database and analyze them or something like that. There's no way for you to know. But chain analysis, mm -hmm. chain analysis, is it mm -hmm. chain analysis, chain analysis, chain analysis, almost certainly. I would guess within their company have mm -hmm. a lightning division and they're going, how do we figure this out mm -hmm. so we can sell this data to governments? Oh, well, and and do you, you don't think they're doing that for Monero or Zcash? Oh, no, 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 no that, that's fine. We, but, but, but we're talking about the, uh -huh. the good privacy options in lightning. Mm -hmm. 
is there some way of building that database? Would there be some way of doing yeah, that? I mean, there's always like a way to do that in any of these, uh, including Monero, Zcash, or whatever, uh, uh, Grin, or you know, whatever private your fi- favorite privacy coin might be. There's always ways to do that, and the one that they're going to concentrate on is the one that gets used the most. It doesn't mean that they necessarily know all that much. And in order to do it, it's way more costly. Right now, if if you want to do on-chain analysis, you just download the blockchain, run some heuristics on it. You maybe have some data from external sources. You include that in order to figure out where it's pathing. but with 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 lightning it's it's significantly more costly for them and that's kind of what you want to do from a privacy perspective is the more costly it is for somebody to analyze the better it is for you because that's an economic calculation that's going to now come into play. If you make it very costly for them to figure out who you are, they're just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So you you had that with uh, with you. You're right. They probably you know run a bunch of lightning nodes and they're trying to intercept and figure things out or whatever. But you still have some pretty good privacy, and that that um, and at a certain level, if you're if you pay. I don't know, Pornhub or something like that, and you don't want anyone to Why know Why is that about. your example? <laughs> well, it's because they only take Bitcoin, right? right? Did I? I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, so they- You're I think, the expert. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wrote an article about it in my newsletter, or I, I mentioned it because I there was a paper written by some guy saying, okay, what's uh, Pornhub's value to Bitcoin been in the, because they, they stopped taking Visa, MasterCard, and so, you know, now all these transactions are in Bitcoin has, you know, so that, so I have reason, not because I'm a fan of theirs or whatever, but that's something that you might want to be private. You well, have a very valid reason to go investigate this. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going from A to B, right, uh, and, you know, you, you have enough hops in between, that, that's going to be a fairly private thing. Like, no, uh, very few people are going to be able to uh, figure it out. And in addition, if you want to even do like an on-chain transaction, you can do something called submarine swaps, which I think are woefully underused at this point. But you it can do that. It sounds like the kind of thing that someone would be like, huh? Sub, sub, what, what? <laughs> yeah. So a submarine swap is a way to do like lightning transactions on-chain or on-chain transactions on lightning. So is that, um, Alex Bosworth did this. Yeah. 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 So, um, and it's it's got some really nice privacy properties because there's no easy way to link the two of them. And you need to do a lot of observation. Again, you're upping the cost of somebody being able to sort of break that privacy, essentially. And that that's really all you ever really want to do with respect to privacy. All privacy can be broken with enough data and enough, uh, you know, listening or whatever. It's you want to make it so expensive that they're not incentivized to go and do all of those things. So, uh, you know, with submarine swaps, you can pay on Lightning and get a UTXO back. That's unrelated to any any uh, UTXO that you inserted into the Lightning network. And you could do the reverse. You can pay in Lightning and then, uh, you know, the person on the other end uses a UTXO to pay, you know, your favorite be- vendor or something like that. That's really nice because there's no linkage between the two and only the person that's providing it for you has that. So unless they're compromised with chain, al- chain analysis or something like that, then you you get a lot of these privacy properties. So you have so many options within mm-hmm. the Lightning Network where, where, where you really don't with Monero. You have this one 
particular zero knowledge proof with you know five different UTXOs that are chosen in a fairly deterministic way with some randomness in, in, embedded in it. And you know, in general, like you 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 get some amount of privacy in Monero uh, with zero knowledge proofs, but it's not like it's impossible to break. There are several papers that talk about how you can. There's only five possibilities. You can eliminate them one by one, and you know you're you're down to three. That's a lot easier to analyze. It's not a very big anonymity set. With Lightning, it's however large the network is. It could have come from almost anywhere, and that's that's very useful to hide behind, and uh, and you get a lot of privacy properties that way. Should they not just increase the size of the anonymity set though? Uh, who the Monero? Monero? Yeah. Then then you start uh, you know running into. Um, Running into you know chain bloat and stuff like that. Their their so chain is fatally flawed. Well, the thing is, like the larger the anonymity set, you have to define it in your in your transaction. So if you have five transactions that you're doing it from, then uh, you know that's five UTXOs that you have to reference. Or actually, Monero doesn't have UTXOs; it's all TXOs, and the chain keeps bloating, and you have no idea if anything's spent or not because that's. How, that's the design. That's that's how you get privacy. So, I mean, if you increase from five to twenty or something like that, now your transactions are that much bigger, and your proofs are that much bigger, <laughs> and you you have all you know these ring signatures and stuff like that, which are bigger, and that means you can fit less of them on chain. That means you have like sort of like a you know an increase in anonymity here but you have decrease in anonymity here cuz within a block you can be like okay i can figure out what time roughly that that person did a transaction i just need to look at that block and it's probably one of these and you know there there's so many ways in which uh, you know there are trade-offs within monero that aren't really solved that well so yeah, I mean, I know all the Monero fanboys are probably going to come after me or whatever, but I'm I mean, telling you, it's not a very large anonymity set versus what you're going to be able to get in Lightning, which has literally thousands and thousands and thousands of nodes and growing all the time. And especially for like the small transactions where you're going to want that anonymity, uh, it, I, Lightning is almost ideal because it leaves no blockchain footprint, which Monero does by default, and it has to in order for its uh, property to work. Um, you know, all, all, like I think Lightning is actually good, and I don't think they're uh, uh, you know, and as it grows, I think that the privacy aspect of Lightning is going to be. Does a it thing. get ex exponentially better as it grows? Well, you have a larger anonymity set that you can hide behind. So if you have, uh, you know, 10,000 nodes, right, then you have, you're hiding in that group. And if you have 100,000 nodes, then you're hiding in that group. So it's like 10 times the anonymity set. That means 10 times the cost to figure out which one it is. But is it exponential, the growth that comes with it? Um, I don't know if it's exponential. I think it's linear, if I'm not mistaken. But I, like just just in any anonymity set, it's uh, it's proportional to the number of uh, you know possibilities there are. In Monero, it's really not that much. Okay. Is, is my point. Whereas on Lightning, it's it's significantly more. You happy, Danny? Uh, it sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. 
Now, we are over halfway through the season. Liverpool have just picked up their first trophy. Tottenham are struggling as ever. This season is going as planned. But how's it going to finish? Do you know how it's going to finish? Will Liverpool win the title? Will they snatch it away from City? Who's going to win the league? Who's going to win the Champions League? Who knows? Well, anyway, if you want to take a bet, sportsbet.io has got you covered. And not just with football. They cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Next up, it is Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of Compass Mining. I am mining with Compass Mining. Now, I've been doing this for about Wow, what is it, like four months now? And I've mined over half a Bitcoin with them. It's pretty cool. It's very cool, actually. I love the fact that I'm back mining. And I also love the way Compass does this. They've made mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded. And now anyone can mine Bitcoin. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they do all the rest of the work for you. Now, if you are interested in mining or if you want to find out more, then please head over to compassmining.io. That is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up, it is Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And even though they've been with me for a year, I have not sold a single sat with Gemini. I'm only buying. I'm a hodler. But I have been buying Bitcoin with them. Not only have I been buying the dips through Gemini, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Also, today we have Level. Now, as the world migrates from traditional walled garden financial rails to Bitcoin, Level has rebuilt its Bitcoin trading app to become the first full suite Bitcoin banking app. The Bitcoin revolution isn't just about investing dollars. It's about replacing them. So, while other apps help you to buy Bitcoin, the Level app lets you use your Bitcoin for daily life. You can get paid in Bitcoin, you can spend Bitcoin anywhere, and you can even earn Bitcoin rewards. All of this is alongside a traditional fiat account, so you can manage your Bitcoin alongside your traditional currencies. Now, Level are reserving 500 beta slots for WBD listeners ready to go all in and bank in Bitcoin. If you want to find out more, head over to level.co forward slash WBD which is lvl.co forward slash WBD for info and early access. All right, I want to get into my favorite subject to talk about with you, which is altcoins. <laughs> the alter- well, Didn't we just do that? Come no, on. <laughs> we talked about Monero. I want to talk about alternative coins, uh-huh. shit coins. Um, and the reason I want to talk about it with you is uh, our show is always growing, mm. which means there's always new people coming in which means I'm always getting new emails from people saying, 
I love the show, I love Bitcoin, but have you not considered ETH? What do you mm-hmm. think of Solano? Mm. Is it Solano or Solano? I can't remember. Solana. Solana. Solano. You say Solano. Yeah, Solano. Roberto Solano or <laughs> Ethernet or, or Cardano people in the last week. And so I always think it's good to have a refresh mm-hmm. on the importance of decentralization, mm-hmm. that it isn't a spectrum, mm-hmm. that for me, I always think it's, where is what is it directionally? Is it becoming more decentralized or more centralized? Mm-hmm. If it's directionally becoming more decentralized, that's super important. And is it sufficiently decentralized? But you've covered this over and over. It's always good for a refresh. I love talking about it with you. So, uh, Jimmy, is uh, is decentralization a spectrum? No, it's not. It's yes. a one cool, or a cool. zero. Okay. At the, look at the word decentralization. Okay does not have a center. If you have a center, it is centralized by definition, right? But it's in the word. So if it's centralized, that means that you can go and shut it down, right? And we're, we're seeing two very good examples because of this Ukraine-Russia conflict. We have OpenSea and MetaMask that banned the Russian users, right? Completely banned them. And everyone in ETH was like, wait, how is it possible that they can do that? I thought this was a decentralized protocol. Well, it's because it's not decentralized. It's centralized, right? You have OpenSea, a company. You have MetaMask, a company. You have, you know, what, you know, all these other things that are companies. The thing about altcoins is that they are decentralized. How did, so how, they both, well, OpenSea banned users from coming on and using OpenSea just to buy Yeah, NFTs. whatever it is. They, if you're from Russia, you can't go on OpenSea. You to can't. buy, sell, or anything. If you're if if you're Russian, you cannot go on MetaMask to buy, sell, or anything. Okay, I'm, uh, so OpenSea, I, I've never used it. I've never used I'm it. I'm assuming does it have does it have KYC on it? Is that why? I've not used it. Yeah, uh, maybe it has KYC, so it knows where you are. But MetaMask doesn't have KYC, does it? No, ne- neither of them do. But so they do it by IP. Yeah, well, or or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what the mechanism is, but they, they're banning people. Do you, okay. do you understand the significance? No, I understand the significance. <laughs> so I'm wondering, okay, for example, when Coinbase banned uh, 25,000, uh, 25, yeah. I'm stuck because my coins are in uh-huh. uh, Coinbase's wallet, which is centralized, and therefore uh-huh. they can stop me moving out. I don't. I, I used MetaMask once, like three years ago, four years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, I don't fully understand what it is. It's a company, so is it just a wallet? Uh, yeah, basically, it's a centralized sort of wallet. So once they've banned me, can I not move my coins out of MetaMask somewhere else? Uh, I mean, there might be ways or something like that, but uh, as far as I can understand, no, you That's, can't. Well, if you're if you're in if you're part of Russia or something like why that, why couldn't you just like restore your wallet with someone else and do it? I'm not sure exactly how it works, so it's hard for me to answer that question. Yeah. But I mean, the, yeah, the key I, thing here is that they banned users, right? And you can't do that unless you're a centralized platform. No one can ban Russians from using Bitcoin, right? That's part well, of it. Depending the, on what you, you're using your Bitcoin on. So for example... Well, if you wanted to just do a transaction, right? Move it from one cold wallet to another or something like that. No, one's, no one can stop you. If I had a Ledger wallet... Mm-hmm. Could Ledger ban people ban people doing it because you, Ledger has a node for you to do transactions? Uh, no, Ledger can't because uh, the way they work is that you uh, it's a it's a cold wallet, and once it's signed it, then you can broadcast that transaction pretty much anywhere. Okay. Um, so like it at, at running your own node or whatever, and ideally that's how you do it is 
you're running your own node and you have some connection. That's ideal. Yeah. But not everyone's going to do that. So mm-hmm. we had it with uh, Wasabi yesterday, mm-hmm. which upset a few people. <laughs> but they've blocked certain people. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a centralized service. So yeah. that, that, that is possible. But, you know. But, 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 but what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. I, I, not to pick up, well, mm-hmm. I have to because that's, that's the job. But it's like, what's the difference between what Wasabi did and MetaMask did? Uh, well, what, Wasabi is a voluntary service that's like getting into it. MetaMask is part of the Ethereum proper, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, OpenSea is like, and that that's pretty much the place for NFTs, right? Like that's... Oh yeah, I forget OpenSea, I don't care yeah. about that. I'm just, I can't see a difference between OpenSea, uh, sorry, Wasabi and MetaMask. I mean, I know we should be encouraging people to hold their private keys. Mm-hmm. Can you can you hold your private keys with Wasabi and restore to another wallet? Yeah, and you can with MetaMask as well, I think. You can, okay. I just don't see a difference between the two. That's my between problem. Between MetaMask and, and... Wasabi, they both had the same policy. Uh, well, Wasabi is just the coin join thing. MetaMask is the entire wallet, right? Like you can still run a Wasabi wallet because it doesn't depend on any 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 anything central. For a coin join, yeah, it's a it's a yeah. it's a, it's a small sliver of what a Wasabi does. Um, you know, you you manage your stuff or whatever. MetaMask, it's the entire service is unavailable to Russia. I guess people, what people need to do is be aware of the ex- aspects within a Bitcoin ecosystem, which is centralized. Yeah, like, like an exchange yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And th- those can and do, uh, you know, ban people for whatever reason. Uh, but but the thing is, like, if it's decentralized, then you have control. If it's centralized, somebody else is in the middle. And that that's the key here is... Self-sovereignty requires decentralization. Uh, And you can have bilateral trade uh, instead of having some third party in the middle that approves or disapproves. Um, And that that is the key. So, uh, you know, all all of these things that are supposedly decentralized or whatever, and this was the point I was getting to, is that you know, they're all decentralized in name only, all these altcoins, right? They, they claim decentralization. And the reason why, why they do it, and this is in my uh, my article this week on uh, Bitcoin Tech Talk, my newsletter, the reason why they do that is so that the regulators won't come after them. Because, you know, regu- there are tons of regulations around scams about like pyramid schemes and all these other things. Um, but by claiming decentralization that they have no center... They're hey, you guys shouldn't come after yeah. us because we're decent. But what what MetaMask and uh, you know MetaMask and uh, uh, OpenSea yeah. are doing, you know, like what what that's showing is that actually you are centralized and we can regulate you. And I think it's only a matter of time before that happens to Ethereum. That happens to Cardano. It's already happened to Ripple, right? The SEC is already going after. I thought that. Ethereum kind of got away with it. They're like. Yeah. Well, so it started it's, it's, centralized they're, and became decentralized. I mean, that they're getting away at the moment. Yeah. But the thing is, regulators aren't buying this lie anymore that they're decentralized when it's clearly centralized. So at that point, it's just okay. It, once the pressure builds up enough, they're going to be saying, "Okay, Ethereum, you need to do this, this, and this." So say this Russia conflict gets yeah. to be especially big, or say we we get in uh, the U.S. and uh, you know, uh, the UK get involved or something like that. Say, say it becomes a bigger thing and we need to ban Russian accounts 
from every possible service that they can think of, and it becomes a bigger thing. At that point, the U.S. government will be able to say to Ethereum, uh, especially if uh, you know some of their uh, Ethereum Foundation members are in the U.S. or something like that, and say, "Hey, you need to you need to go ban Russian users from Ethereum because we're getting reports that they are using Ethereum to." transfer value out in and out and uh, trade uh, go around our sanctions or something like that. At that point, they would be subject to that regulation. And it would be clear as day that they are centralized. You can't do that with Bitcoin. No matter, like they can, they can try. Um, and they'll, they'll certainly tell all the exchanges, don't, don't let them yeah. do it. But if if a Russia, uh, if there's a person in the U.S. like a relative or something like that, and they're 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 transferring, there's nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do to, what, what, to what prevent can, that. What could they threaten the Ethereum um, Foundation people with? Like, Jail what, time. What, 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 <laughs> I mean, no, what do they want them to do? What's oh oh, so no no transactions out of Russia, something like that. And how would they? stop that they would have to make code changes to ethereum no um I, well so this kind of happened with the poly network i, I don't know if you remember no, that hack so there, there was a hack about i don't know i want to say seven months ago or something like that and the poly network uh their smart contract was flawed I like remember, all, yeah, yeah. yeah so it was like 700 million dollars or yeah. something like that right and um and basically what they if you looked at look at their twitter and maybe you can even pull pull that up they said dear hacker like we have instructed everybody to not mine mine anything from this address or this address or this address on both Binance chain and Ethereum which uh, and you are not going to get any of your coins if you hand them back then you know like we why, why don't we negotiate basically and the hacker, which is really word for like smart contract lawyer, he uh, settled for, I think it was $500,000. So one way to look at it is, you know, it's nominally worth $600 million, settled for $500,000. So 99.9% .9 of the value of that was in getting the central controller's permission, which in this case was the developers of the Poly Network, Damn. right? 99.9%. .9 so the, most of it is centrally controlled. And they paid the 500,000, called them a white hat hacker, you know, whatever, and, you know, for, forgave, I guess, what, what, whatever consternation they, that this guy caused on the network. But that, that's what they would probably do is say, okay, every miner, if you mine this, we're going to reject your block and we're going to go do something. And they have that power because you know, Infura is like what everybody uses for the block explorer. So if Infura doesn't follow, you know, whatever proof of work thing was found by a particular miner, no one else is going to. That that's that's the main one. Like no one else cares about any other node. It's whatever Infura says. So if if you can like it's very centralized, right? Like you can you you can sort of if they could do that for the poly network, they can certainly do that. Because the U.S. government demands it, it's it's frustrating where a project claims to be decentralized mm -hmm. as well as claiming to be uh, better money than Bitcoin. That's <laughs> that's the ultimate frustration, because the power of Bitcoin is in its decentralization. Mm -hmm. So if you're claiming one, you're better money, and you're decentralized, you're arguing to people, you're making the case that you should own this coin over that coin. That that mm -hmm. does annoy me. 
What about a scenario? And bear in mind, I, I caveat mm-hmm. this with, I've got no interest in shit coins. <laughs> don't own any, don't intend to train any, I don't pro- promote any. But I am also interested in like fair dis- discussion. Mm-hmm. What if one was like, for Solano, for example, said, you know what? We're not decentralized, we admit it. We're, mm-hmm. We are permissionless mm-hmm. and we're happy to be regulated and we are just a different alternative platform that you can build business applications on and we have a token but we accept we're not decentralized, we're not trying to compete with Bitcoin. Would you still consider that a shitcoin and argue against it, or would you just consider that just a platform? Well, if they issued their own token, then there are certain things that you have to consider of course. based on that, which is that they would be running afoul of all kinds of laws that exist already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're, you can't you can't make your own currency, right? Liberty Gold, I think, was one. And there, there were several others where they issued their own coin based on gold, right? Like some digital form of gold. And all those people went to jail. So I, I would think that if they ever admitted something like that, all those people that did Solana should go to jail. Really? Yeah, because you're, you're issuing your own currency that com, uh, that that's uh, centralized and able to be like, I, I mean, maybe they get away with it because like they have enough lobbying power or whatever. Do we want them to go, do we want them to, go to jail? Well, I, I don't want them yeah. to want, want anyone to go to jail, but that's probably what would happen if they did. But what, what I'm saying <laughs> is, is like, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to offer uh, or consider the alternative mm-hmm. argument because I can advise people against the value of these things, mm-hmm. but Bitcoin's got so big now, it, it has already won mm-hmm. the race. I wonder if there's an alienation mm-hmm. by overly criticizing every single project that ever exists. Would it be better to say, do you know what? Don't agree with it. I don't think it's a good project. I wouldn't put my money in there, but hey, you should consider Bitcoin. You know, because these aren't going away. We've had you know, years and years of these projects being created. Mm-hmm. Are we putting our energy in the best place? Well, I mean, depends. I, when, whenever people ask me about the, my opinion, I'm going to tell them, hey, I think it's a scam because I think that's an accurate way to describe what these things are. It, it, it's a way for VCs to get rich. Most of them who buy insane amounts of pre-mined tokens at an extreme discount, pump the hell out of it and then release it to the public and win money that way for their LPs or whatever. I think that's immoral. I think that's horribly ba- uh, bad for everybody. So I, I, I agree I, on immoral. Yeah. I'm not sure scam. I agree on immoral. Well, I, I think it's really immoral. If if you did that with like uh, stamps or something, that would be a Ponzi scheme. That's exactly what that guy Ponzi did. And there are pyramid schemes that are very similar or whatever. I, I, I think by any reasonable definition that that's exactly what you're doing. You're pumping up something that has no intrinsic value for the sake of profiting yourself. I think that's a scam. So, I mean, like you might say, well, we should be nicer to them or like not talk about them as badly because we're putting our energy in the wrong place. I try not to think about altcoins. It's just that a lot of people ask. And if they're going to ask, I'm going to tell them exactly what I think. And and you asked, I'm, right. I'm delivering. That's what that's what I'm doing. Hey, I, no, I'm... I, I'm eking out the answer for the listeners. Mm-hmm. It's what I care, what I say doesn't matter. It's, <laughs> it's what the listeners take from this. And the number of people listening to the show have written in and said, thank you so much. I'm Bitcoin mm-hmm. only. I've learned a lot, a lot about this. It's funny. That takes us really to this because I do mm-hmm. want to ask you about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, mm-hmm. thank God for Bitcoin is the moral case for Bitcoin. Mm. And interestingly, we were 
sorry, Danny, we were with Jeff Booth the other day and mm. we were talking about money misinformation. Mm. How you have Bitcoin, which is money truth, mm -hmm. and the rest of the market is money misinformation. Mm. It's a completely distorted market. People can't prepare for, mm. their uh, wealth gets destroyed. Mm. And that really is, whether we say thank God for Bitcoin or the moral case of Bitcoin, I'm not religious, I think it's the same point, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the case for Bitcoin uh, from a moral perspective is that you are not stealing from other people. That's, that's really it. And, you know, we, we wrote that book to Christians, which we know there's a significant number, uh, to, to help them understand from uh, a Christian perspective why it's a better money than fiat money and how immoral fiat money is. And it, to your point, like all these altcoins as well. And that's the case that we're making. It, and, you know, you, you talked about with this with Jeff and many other people, it's that you get all these skews because essentially value is being stolen from all of these other people. And, you know, as we point out in the book, it's not just stolen from, you know, rich fat cats or something like that. It's not like that at all. In fact, it's being stolen from the poorest of the poor in the entire world. If you think about the U.S. dollar, you know, they, every time they, they print an additional dollar, it dilutes everybody else that's holding the dollar. Well, if you look at cash, for example, the U.S. dollars, um, the actual physical bills, 65% of physical U.S. dollar bills are outside the United States. Now, where are they? In all, all sorts of countries for very good reason. They don't like, hold, uh, a lot of people don't like holding their local currency. So that's their form of savings. When the U.S. dollar is expanding, and in the last two years, it went from 15 trillion to 22 trillion. So that's, that's a significant increase, almost 50% increase in the amount of M2 money that exists. That's, that's a significant inflation. Well, who is that hurting? Who, your PPP loans, your STEMI checks, where, where is that coming from? It's coming on the backs of all those people that are outside the United States that are getting their dollars diluted. And, you know, I, I, I talked to Yunmi Park about this. In, in uh, North Korea, the most desirable- mean? She's amazing. Yeah, the, the, the most desirable uh, currency in the black markets in North Korea is the US dollar. That's what they saved their money in. Who are you hurting? When the dollar expands, it's them. Right? It's the poorest of the poor. It's the most vulnerable people, people in the most oppressive places, you know, whether it's North Korea or Zimbabwe or Venezuela. It was when, when I was in Venezuela, people wanted dollars. Yeah, yeah. And and those are the people that are being diluted. And we um, you know, I you know, my friend Alex Gladstein, he he's been on your show too. Yeah, Alex. He, he 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 talks about how you know, he he uh sent me a, a thing because he knows um I'm interested in North Korea. So report out of North Korea, like from the defectors or people that are still in there, talking about how like prices in North Korea just doubled, like just doubled, right? That's what happens when you expand the dollar. It is highly immoral. These, these are people that are getting hurt all the time so that we could get our STEMI checks, so that we could have our PPP loans, so that we could have, you know, all these things that Congress spends money on and, uh, you know, feeds rent seekers essentially. Those other people that we don't see, those are the people that are being hurt. And that's the case that we're making in that book. And it's not that I agree with this, but mm -hmm. why does the US government owe a responsibility for people who choose to hold the dollar in another country? Is it because they've 
created the dollar global standard as a reserve currency. Is that why? Yeah, and they they more or less imposed it on the world as okay. part of Bretton Woods, right? Mm. Post World War II, or like towards the end of it, it was a bunch of bureaucrats from a lot of countries that decided, all right, we need to, a new monetary world order. That was those are the exact words that they used in a hotel in New Hampshire called Bretton Woods. And mm-hmm. they decided this is how it's going to be for the rest of the world. And because the U.S. was the most dominant power with most of the gold, they were able to impose it on the rest of the world. So it, it, it is in a very real sense a monetary imperialism that's been cast over the entire world. And that's, that's why, yeah, it, 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 the U.S. is responsible because they, they imposed it. And, you know, previous reserve currencies had a similar sort of like dynamic, including your home country um, with the yep. British pound before that. So, yeah, yeah, I would say that the U.S. government is responsible for all of this global trade happening in the U.S. dollar because they more or less imposed it. So give me the give me the moral case for Bitcoin then. <laughs> well, the moral case for Bitcoin is that you don't have the cesspool of theft, corruption, and cronyism that you do with the U.S. dollar, right? The, the fiat mo- fiat money is just straight up evil. It is an institution of corruption, of theft, of extracting value from people that can least afford it, mm-hmm. and. Bitcoin is one that's way fairer, right? And that's the that's the case that we make. And we don't even mention Bitcoin until like the last two chapters. It's, okay, here's all the things that are wrong with fiat money. All of these things are the result of fiat money, including, you know, uh, high time preference behavior, mm-hmm. um, you know, the politicization of absolutely everything. When you, when you have a money printer available, everyone wants access to that money printer. And it is all about, hey, I want, uh, you know, they will fight tooth and nail for that money money printer. So everything becomes politicized. All of these societal ills are a result of fiat money. And then we bring in Bitcoin and say, okay, here is why Bitcoin is very different. There is no center. There is no central controller. That means that you have certainty around the amount of Bitcoin that you have. It's not going to get stolen from you. It is uh, unseizable money and it's undilutable money. And that means that you have actual control of it. And that gives it much better qualities from a moral perspective. Because if a money is hard to steal, then that's just better money. Dollar is very easy to steal, not like physically from your pocket or something like that, although there is that too. But from diluting it, you are actually stealing value from people, even even if you're not taking the dollars out of their pocket. With Bitcoin, you can't do that. And that makes it a more moral money or a system that that makes it very, very difficult to be immoral in. Is there ever a moral case to dilute money in times of crisis, times of economic crisis? Um, at the moment, in we've mm-hmm. been talking about this. In the moment, in the UK, we've got a huge energy crisis. People mm-hmm. cannot afford mm-hmm. the energy bills, and the uh, Scottish government is going to be issuing um, rebates on mm-hmm. or on energy bills, so people can f- afford to heat their home. And in that scenario, perhaps they're running the money printer. They're diluting to do it in times of recession. If we had a, if we had a, a period or a responsible government that ran both surplus and deficit. Mm-hmm. and try to balance the economy, would there ever be a moral case for the money printer? Well, so I, I personally think no. And okay. there was a French bishop by the name of Nicolas Oresme from uh, 13th century who made this case way back then, which is, okay, 
is there ever a time that the prince can debase the money, right? This was with uh, metals and stuff like that. And his conclusion was, no, he might as well take my code and say he has need of it. It is literally taking your stuff away. And if you're not doing so voluntarily, that is just theft straight up. Straight up. Now, can there be justification for theft? You know, this what Lady yeah. Zorob is about. Yeah. It's like, okay, uh, my family is starving, so is it okay for me to steal bread and so on? That That's a much deeper and more philosophical question. At least in my view, it is morally wrong. It, you, two wrongs don't make a right, ever. Okay. So I, I don't think uh, that that argument necessarily works. What about a scenario where, I'm trying to come out with my toughest questions for you, Jimmy. <laughs> what about in a scenario where a, an exchange has uh, inside information and can counter trade the market, ends up dumping the price of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. destroying someone's purchasing power? Mm -hmm. Is that immoral? I would think, well, so the they're, they're dumping it for what reason? For their own benefit? They, well, yeah, because they, they can counter trade the market and end up, um, you know, wiping out accounts and attaining that Bitcoin? That's a good question. I mean, I'm not really sure uh, like what the moral you, implications are. Because uh, dilution of money uh -huh. destroys the purchasing, purchasing power. power. Yeah. And if you had enough Bitcoin that you could trade the market to, uh, you had a way of opening a large short, crashing mm -hmm. the price, yada, mm -hmm. yada, and acquiring Bitcoin, mm -hmm. you are also destroying purchasing power. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that would be immoral per se. So it, that would be like um, if I held a lot of Beanie Babies for some, and you, 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 I know you're a Beanie Baby collector and I want to crash the price, so I sell all my Beanie Babies. Well, I'm doing what I want with my own stuff. I'm not necessarily stealing from you. Um, it's just I'm ahead of the market in some way, shape, or form. That, that's not immoral because I'm not taking anything away from you. Now, it may have negative consequences for you, but that's the risk you took when you bought Beanie Babies. So in that sense, I, I, I don't think like causing somebody else's, uh, you know, property to go down in value is, uh, unless I'm like actively damaging it, if I cut up your Beanie Babies, that would mean that I would be, you know, harming your property. That would be immoral. But if I'm, Doing something with my own property that I have the right to do, and it happens to hurt you—that's that's not my problem. That's that's the risk that you kind of took in making uh, in in taking some of that. Well, I think I'm gonna have to dig into this. <laughs> I hope so. I'm gonna have a, a read of this, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna be in for Bitcoin and the American Dream first. Mm -hmm. um, just to close out, Jimmy, you've been in Bitcoin for quite a quite a while now. Do you uh -huh. remember? Do you remember your first year? 2011. 2011. Yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought you told me that before. Uh, we're, we're 11 years in from that now, mm -hmm. which is incredible. Um, how do you take it all in? Because there's, for you, I mean, for me, there's been a lot of change in five years and mm -hmm. certainly eight years. Mm -hmm. But for you, 11 years, like, how, how do you just take this all in? Because well, you've been along for the whole ride. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of unreal to me. Like, I'm a coder. Right, I'm I'm a programmer. I've been a program. I'm a I've been a programmer geek for most of my life. I started coding when I was like nine years old. Right, that that's what I've been, and I'm on I'm coming on podcasts with you. <laughs> I'm writing books. I'm like uh, you know helping the Lummis office like craft their legislation. I'm going to Oslo Human he Rights, yeah. uh, you know, forum to to you know talk to human rights people about how they can you know better do 
Like it's unreal to me that I am in this position. You know, I'm getting invited to Christian conferences to talk about Bitcoin because they're like, you know, what you're saying about money is something that nobody really talks about. So we want you to like. It's completely surreal to me that I, I I'm in this position now. You know, when I was a coder, I'm a, you know coming back to you know eleven years. That's the transformation that I've gone through, and I, I'm I'm sure you feel similarly because you you've uh, you have I think as remarkable or even more of a remarkable story in you know becoming like sort of like a top podcaster in Bitcoin, but that um, for me the the changes in the industry are just that they they're changes and things are happening. In some sense, they're inevitable. In others, it's just sort of like people working on it. But for me, the the way I take it in is just uh, one of gratitude because, you know, I, I'm able to have multiple streams of income and do spend a lot more time with my kids and work on something that I'm very passionate about and working to, you know, bring the world to a place that's uh, that's better than it was before. I, I mean, like, I, I, I think I've talked to a bunch of Bitcoiners. All of them say the same thing about the past two years is, and if I didn't have Bitcoin, I'd be so depressed right now. Well, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what I would be doing, <laughs> right? And and I I know a lot of people that didn't have Bitcoin and they are depressed because the world lacks hope. And this is something that Michael Saylor says is gives you Bitcoin hope. is hope. You need some bright light, and it it gives you some sense of uh you know there things getting better, and Bitcoin is making things better. So for me. You know, I, I, I have nothing but gratitude towards what Bitcoin's been able to do. And I'm, I'm, I, I take it in with a sense of wonder and joy and, yeah, gratitude more, more than anything else. Yeah, I, I fully appreciate it. But that lens is super interesting, actually, because mm-hmm. I think uh, every Bitcoiner can see all oh, the crazy shit in the world. This last two years right now, <laughs> yeah. what's happening to money, but... But we have that lens of hope. It's like, okay, it's not just that lens where it's like, oh, I have money that protects my wealth, mm-hmm. but also, oh, people can actually do something. Mm-hmm. You can create something that that is uh, outside of government control, which mm-hmm. is outside of all the bullshit of politics. You can actually create something and fix part of the systems. And we also can see the use cases, how people are using this to help people and help their other lives. There, there is that. And I, I'm with you. If you if you didn't have that lens, mm. all the people who don't understand Bitcoin, refuse to look at it, refuse to check it out, don't have that lens. Mm. All they can see is like misery and <laughs> and high gas prices and, you know, they don't have that. And I, I look through that lens and think it's not, it's not going to be pretty, but at least we have this, right? Mm-hmm. We have this tool we can defer to that can just help and... No, I fully appreciate that, and I appreciate you, man. Well, thanks for having me on. But yeah, it's it's such a surreal thing, isn't it? Like, it is, I, like how are we doing this, Peter? How how are we? We turned up. Yeah, and it's like uh, we're we're now in the Bitcoin space doing this and that. Like, is this real life? What timeline are we living in? How yeah, how man. how did this happen? That that's the those are the questions. I think we just turned up and we had uh, <laughs> we had Dylan Leclerc here yeah. earlier, and he's part of that new cohort of people uh-huh. who just turned up. I mean, mm-hmm. he's twenty years old. He's mm-hmm. smart as shit, and 
I don't know how much energy I'll have to do this. I don't imagine I'll be doing this in 10 years. I think I'll be too tired and hopefully Well, you're probably like driving a Lambo and doing something. But yeah, (laughs) and uh, watching your team win the Premier League, hopefully. I mean... <laughs> the second one's a bit more unrealistic, but we're, we're going to try for both. But uh, but just seeing this new cohort of people come through, that, mm. I mean, that's brilliant as well. Is that there are people recognizing this and turning up and doing it? I think you, I feel like I feel like pompous dickhead saying you just turned up, but people just did turn up. You know, we we did we've sat in rooms four or five times and done this, and other people are doing it. Well, got, I think I think you're giving yourself too little credit because you worked hard. And I worked I hard, and that, and we didn't just turn up. We turned up. We we showed up, and we worked hard, and that's that. That's how you really. Get but there into are a lot it. of people out there who work hard who mm-hmm. who maybe don't get to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I always remember. Um, I used to have this web design business, and I, this this is one of the things that stuck in my mind mm-hmm. more than anything. We went to a went to Stoke, and there's a place they make uh, do pottery, mm-hmm. and it's a factory. And there's people there who work, who work in that place for 40 years, mm-hmm. doing the same job day in day out. They work hard. Mm. They work hard, and 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 it's a different life. Well, it's a different kind of working hard. But it's yeah. it's still for them. Yeah. And yeah. It, 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 uh, in some ways, they work harder mm. in a more you know in a mm-hmm. different type of job. Uh, mm. But I think a lot of people work hard. I just feel very fortunate and and, and very lucky to you know have met you early on and been able to do this. And I appreciate everything you're doing, Jimmy. So. I'm sure we're going to do this a bunch more times over the next few years and talk about Bitcoin and stuff. All right, pimp these books. Tell people where to go, where, where to find you. People check these books, especially this. Yeah, so I, I, I have four books to my name, Programming Bitcoin, The Little Bitcoin Book, Thank God for Bitcoin, Bitcoin and the American Dream. They're all available on Amazon. You can also go to my website, ProgrammingBitcoin.com, which is the title of the first book. And there are links to go buy all of them. Um, it, it's available on Amazon all over the world uh, in English. Uh, some some of these in different languages. I think the Little Bitcoin book is translated to fifteen or sixteen wow. languages at this point, including Farsi and uh, Hindi and stuff like that. So, uh, thank God for Bitcoin has been translated to like two or three, um, and you know we'll we'll see what happens with Bitcoin and the American Dream. Yeah, you uh, might have to do Bitcoin and the British Dream. <laughs> Bitcoin in the Spanish dream, Bitcoin in the... I don't know. Those, those <laughs> don't have sort of like that, that that vision that people have of the American dream. We all want the American dream. <laughs> we all want to go to Disney. But anyway, they're all available all right. on my website, on Amazon, and you can follow me at Jimmy Song on Twitter. Keep crushing, man. Uh, good to see you and good luck with all of this. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.